Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. This is episode 128, I believe. I've got my numbers all screwed up, but I'm super thrilled this morning or on a Sunday morning to have Asmahan Masra on the podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. We just got done. I feel, I feel pretty good that I pr- we were just talking about pronouncing your name and I feel pretty good that I got it right. I was really, I was really nervous because I was just like, oh my god, I don't want to butcher her name. <laughs> no, you're fine. I, I would have cracked it anyway, so it's not a big deal. Right, right. You know, and the funny, we were just talking a little bit about names, and like this is nowhere near what we were talking about. But my, my, my name is K R U E G E R, which should traditionally be pronounced Kruger, but for some reason my family pronounces it Krieger without the U. So I mm-hmm. like. Every once in you a while, get, someone, yeah, yeah, people will do that. So, and I just, at some point I correct people and sometimes I, I don't correct people, but let it go. yeah, but it was, I think honestly, like I've done the same thing. Sometimes I'll correct. I think I, I correct when I'm like aware that this person just doesn't care and I'm like, Oh, mm. you're going to care. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. correct you. Right. right. <laughs> but, um, if it's like not intentional, like, you know, it's just a slip up or whatever. I just let it slide. But mm-hmm. you know, and that's and that's a thing. You know, with with our podcast, you know, we've been trying to really branch out and because all all we really want to do is amplify the conversation around what teachers really do. Because it's you know, it's so crazy. I just this just came across me this morning because I've been busy. The that situation out in Idaho where a two groups of te- a group of teachers decided to dress up as a border wall and stereotypical Mexican American, you know, Mexicans. And I just am like, I think this podcast is so much more important because that gives all the millions of great teachers such a bad name. It does. And it's not like the, this this kind of stuff happens all over the, right. Right. But it's just insane when you see, um, especially when, I don't know, for me personally, when I'm so proud of what I do, um, and I, you know, we always get the back end of everything, you know? So when you are so proud of your profession and you know that you are shaping minds so young and so um, easy to like persuade, right? You think that you'd put a little bit more effort into how you are presenting yourself, not only in your classroom, but amongst your community. Um, but for them to just, I mean, that was full out, like blown, like that was planned. Like they had to sit down, have discussions, text each other, order the costumes, you know, make these brick walls, figure out who's going to do what. I mean, that was literally planned out. It wasn't like, oh, I slipped up, you know, everybody slips up. This was like planned down and yeah. to, to know that as educators you thought that was okay and you're in the classroom I, I don't understand how you would think that was okay I mean I, I don't get where the people around them did it stop them or did it or did it say you know what maybe we shouldn't do this like yeah. even though that's what might be an internal belief of theirs because of the way they lived out their life when you're in the classroom, your doors are open to everyone and anyone that comes into your classroom, regardless of, you know, their, their personal uh, family beliefs, backgrounds, culture, religion, whatever. 
So you have to put yourself in a place where you're aware of who's you know around you and what is okay to project and what is not okay to project. And you're opening up your doors to everyone. And so you should be welcoming of everyone. And what is that message? That message not only did it send out to that community that, you know, we we don't want you here. You know, we think it's a joke and you guys should be banned and whatever. But, you know, think about all the white children in that class, right? So what are the, they're they're being exposed to that racist act. So now moving forward, they're thinking, well, my teachers did it, right? Mm -hmm. So it must be okay. This was projected on Facebook. Um, this was all over social media. It must be okay. I mean, you know, it wasn't, I don't know. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around how you think that's okay. You know, I'm I, in, you know, with, with the political rhetoric and we, we tend with the podcast not to go like super political, but right. you know, when, when there's just complete misinformation about a caravan of, of oh my people gosh. moving towards our border and like some of and that. all the troops being like sent and i'm just like right. for really? for you to i mean for a school to have to suspend or put on paid leave like yeah that's 14, a whole mother 14 14 people are on paid leave for that like i'm interested to see what happens cuz i don't I, I don't think they'll lose their jobs Oh, they're not going to. And I don't know if you, um, I just posted this on my stories, like when it happened, I'm like, this is what's going to happen. They're going to issue a politically correct apology. I mean, that's, you got your, your tail caught. Um, but they're not going to, I, I was shocked that they even suspended them. I truly thought they were just going to issue an apology and be like, all right, sorry, we'll do better. And that was that. So yeah, they did suspend, but it's paid. You should not be paid for making racist, explicitly racist remarks and gestures and exposing your children to that. That should not be paid leave. You should be suspended and moving forward to be terminated. That should not be in any classroom. I mean, that's just insane to me. You know, and it's so strange, me in, you know, now in my mid thirties, I'm just like starting, like I never even, it never came into my, cause I grew up like small, probably a, a town a lot like that town in Idaho, like small town, mm -hmm. Wisconsin, very small community. I think I maybe went to school with one or in my whole entire elementary, elementary, high school, middle school, one or two African-American kids, and oh. then maybe like a handful of Native American kids. And then, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a kind of, I don't mean to say revolving in a, a bad way, but we had some migrants, you know, Latin, uh, Latino uh, kids that would come back and forth, you know, because their parents worked in our area. Right. And it never crossed my mind that, like, so many Halloween costumes are, like, overtly racist. And I, it's, right, and I think, I think, I mean, even, listen, I, I've only been in this work for a, a little bit, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. not, no, I'm not an expert. And within my own community, there are biases and there are, um, you know, racist barriers that we have to break um, as a whole. 
But I think when you're younger, you're just, you, you, you don't understand the impact, right? That, that te- right. these things that are doing to you until you're much older and you have your own like freedom to really explore your own thoughts and no one is telling you like, do this, you know, as a child, you're getting to this, right. do that, do this, go there, learn this, read this, blah, blah, blah. So when you're older, you get to really self-reflect and think about all these things and you don't notice it when you're a child, Right. But when you do start to do the work and start to explore um, these narratives and the history of our nation as a whole and, you know, whatever is happening in your community and how biased it is, and you start to think a little bit more on a deeper level and explore. And I think uh, what happens with us as Americans is that we're stuck in a bubble. We're not you know, we don't explore. We're just like, eh, this is what it is. This is our bubble. This is our hometown. And we kind of just stick it. We stay in that bubble, you know, and we don't seek outside um, experiences. We kind of like things to be like the same all the time. And so when we do see a difference or we do see different, we automatically are fearful of that difference. And we don't try to really understand it. Um, and like you said, you're not, you weren't aware of like the cowboys and the Indian, uh, kind of like dress up as Halloween when you were younger, you weren't aware of like what that was standing out. But as we get older and we start to really think about that, when you know better, you do better. You advocate, you, you speak up, you talk, you expose uh, people to literature that might help guide them. Um, so not knowing when you're younger is one thing and then finding out and doing the work to like help yourself and those around you. That's another thing. That's, that's where you start, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so you were educated in the United States, right? You've, that's yes, where you grew I, up. Yeah. Yes. So I came to the United States when I was five years old. Right. Um, my, I mean, my great, grandfather served in world war ii here so our family has been here for generations um but i came when i was five so i kindergarten all the way through i was educated in the states yep what was what was your educational experience like i mean because i'm interested in that perspective of being someone who came from somewhere else and then came into this system that was you know has been projected as you know the greatest education a person can get but we're learning more and more that it's way, yeah, behind, that, right? way behind. So I'm interested behind. to hear what your uh, educational experience was like. So I think, honestly, when people ask me that, it's, it could be just the same as yours. I started in kindergarten, so I've, K through 12 was standard American education. Um, it's just unique because I was exposed to, like, our town is predominantly, like, we're a mix. We're a good mix. So we have a lot of like um, Italian Americans, Arab Americans, um, African Americans. There's just a, a mixture. But within our area in our town, it's predominantly Middle Eastern students, right? So when going to school, we had white teachers, and that's all we had, and that's all we knew. So I don't know. I, I had some amazing educators, but I also had some very uh, racist educators and you could tell as a child like oh they don't like me oh, why you don't understand as a kid like why right. don't they like me you know um, and it wasn't until 
I got older, I realized, oh, that's why they don't like me. It's because of, you know, my background or whatever. But education wise, like I got the same education as anyone else that would go to our public uh, schools. Um, I'm fortunate enough to live in a town where we do have like resources and um, like books and technology and stuff like that available for our students. Whereas if you cross the street, like they have nothing. So it's kind of, um, it's kind of interesting to see that now as an adult, but education wise, you know, we had, we had a good, we had a good education. I mean, our, our, our teachers were great. Like I said, there are a handful that you just knew that they weren't, they weren't down for you being there. And you, and I remember explicitly being called an Arab um, by one of my teachers. Um, so it's, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about my education. I can think about like maybe two teachers who I know, three teachers who I loved elementary, middle school and high school who, um, who made me feel loved and important. And that's kind of why I went into teaching because I did not see representation. I didn't see uh, Muslim women as educators. And that's really what drove me like, Hey, you know, you can be that for your community. You know, and now um, within our district, we there's a lot more. So that's uh, great, but it took a while for our district to kind of get there. Yeah, you know, and it's I my experience was I grew up small town Wisconsin, went to a small college in Minnesota, predominantly grew up with whites. Uh, you know, I mean, very like I said, very minimal exposure to other cultures, and my first teaching job was in Houston in a school that was like 97% of the kids were on, you know, uh, free and reduced lunch and like 91% were Hispanic. And like, I was just, I can look back now and I was so, I was so far in over my head, like just to, to, in terms of, you know, and why I want to talk with you of understanding their cultural like realities. Mm-hmm. And Um, yeah, go ahead. And it was just, I mean, it took me probably three years to really get even just a small understanding of their their speech and their, their language and, and what, what their, I guess to not project my reality onto them Mm -hmm. because I had never, Mm -hmm. I had never been around kids who had five and six younger siblings that were Mm -hmm. in the eighth grade that were basically raising their siblings right and and in those situations I just I, I look back on it and I'm like my university experience could have never prepared me for that because they weren't oh, preparing I, me to probably go teach where I did they were preparing me to stay close to where I was well even within like so I went to U of M um Dearborn we have a, a section of University of Michigan here and um in my town but even as like um, a college student, they didn't, they don't prepare you for the classroom. (laughs) (laughs) You walk in and you're like, Oh, what's going on? Where do I begin? Um, So I think in general, our education system lacks, lacks, um, especially for teachers, they, they don't equip you enough and you really do learn your first couple of years, all the things that you should have learned in college, but they just don't teach. Um, you know, but growing up, um, so like I was the first to graduate from the girls in my family to graduate high school. 
So all the other girls in my family before me would go, would probably do like ninth, 10th grade, and then they would just drop out. So um, we, we had to push, we had to fight. Like our family, we had to fight for that because they were just so afraid of what would happen. Like, oh, you're going to go to school. And then they would just hear all these horror stories about what happens in school and at college life and blah, blah, blah. So we, my dad fought for us. He's like, my, my girls are going to school, you know? So I was the first to graduate high school. Um, and then I kind of like slacked on college because I was working full time as well. And then my sister, who's younger than me, graduated with her bachelor's before me. So it took me a long time to, to get my, uh, bachelor's. Um, and she's a school psychologist and we work in the same building, which is really nice, but it's awesome. You are exposed to like, I, like most of the students I went to school with growing up were the same like from the same background, from the same village in, in our country. Um, it had eight or seven siblings, at least minimum. <laughs> that was like the thing. Um, and we all went to the same school, spoke the same language. So in terms of diversity, we're, like even within my classroom, 97 of my students, 97% of my students are Arab American. Our school probably has one black elementary student. It's, and it's because of where we are, the town we're in, and how the lines are, are, are drawn, um, which is insane because Detroit is, like, right next door, right? So right. it's just really insane how that, how, how that is and how that shapes you. Um, but, but like you said, I wasn't really, like, I was, although I was exposed to my own culture, and students that have the same ethnicity and background as myself, I wasn't really exposed to other um, ethnicities and people of different backgrounds until I was in college. And um, that's when I started having like genuine, like deep conversations with, with these people and started to like really shape um, my identity as an educator and what I wanted to be or project in the classroom. Do you, we've talked to a ton of people. I mean, whether it's people in the LGBTQ community community or the African-American community or the Muslim community, everybody's talking about the importance of kids seeing teachers who look like them. Oh yeah. So so I I guess my question is we first, like why that's important, but do you notice a difference between how your kids would respond to say someone who looked like me versus you who is, you know, looks like they do because I, I think that was um, a thing that I really didn't understand is these kids first and foremost, when I moved to Houston, they were super skeptical. I, I could have been the nicest guy, but they are going to be super skeptical of me because they know I probably don't understand what they're at. And it took me a long while to grow that. So I'm, I'm just interested in kind of what the response is from your kids to you versus what it would be to a, someone who looked like I mean, that's really interesting that you ask that because um, I'm just going to be honest, right? So within our own community, there's a lot of microaggressions. Um, and it's something that we really do have to work on, right? Um, so within our community, although we're all from the Middle East and we speak Arabic, but there are certain, I've had certain um, 
families say they did not want their child in my classroom because I happened to be from Yemen and not from the country that they were from. Even though we're from the Middle East, even though we're Muslim, even though we speak the same language, right? Um, so honestly, representation does matter. When you have, so most of my children were like, oh, you're the first Yemeni teacher that we know that happened to be from Yemen. And those, and I, those children will connect with me more. And it's because I just know their background. I know their culture. I know what their parents are probably saying to them at home <laughs> because I've heard it and I probably say it to my own children. Um, and we have a more like closer relationship. Not that I don't have a good relationship with other kids from other Middle Eastern countries, but they just latch on to that. Oh, that's, that's home. That's safe. It's like a safety net, right? Like, you know, that person knows what you're going through right. without even like speaking it kind of, mm -hmm. but in terms of like the other, um, families, I think they realized, oh, she really is here for the good of the kids in the classroom. And now it's like, oh, we want our children in so-and-so's class and they'll go request, you know, certain families will request, oh, you, you had my child. You know, you had my older sibling and I want you to have my younger sibling. And it just takes trust. And like you're saying, a lot of the time you were met with skeptic, skeptic people saying, you know, how is this person going to react and stuff like that. Um, and although representation is, is a must, we should have backgrounds, teachers of all backgrounds. It's like we have about two African-American teachers in our building, in our entire building. And we're an elementary and middle school. And that's really sad to me that we don't have more. You know, um, even though we don't have African-American kids, like I told you, we probably only have one in elementary, our students should be exposed to that regardless, because that allows them to say, to see those different types of people and say, oh, that's, that's just a regular person, a regular human. There's nothing to be afraid of. Um, there's nothing to worry about. And I think once people start making those connections and you start building relationships with families and, and um, students, those barriers kind of dismantle themselves, right? Um, but like for me, just growing up, I wish I had a, a Middle Eastern, a Muslim teacher. I, I wish I saw someone like that because that would have set, gave me not only the um, affirm, like it would have affirmed that I matter, because, you know, obviously somebody who's, who looks like me is doing the job that I wanted to do or is successful in some way. It would have showed me that I had a voice because, like I said, you know that person's going to have your back to a certain extent, right? You're, they're going to feel what you felt growing up. So you, you know they're going to always um, stand up for you. Um, it just would have... It would have given me the impression like I can do it too and there's nothing to be afraid of, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's what I try to do for my students, especially like, especially the girls in my classroom. Um, and I tell them, look, I, I went to school and I, you know, have a job and I do this and I do that and you can do it too. And it's not a, you know, it's not a big deal and you can, you know, balance it out and stuff like that. So representation on all scales matters. But even representation, like even if you don't have, like even if I didn't have black children in my classroom or a Hispanic or um, LGBTQ children in my classroom, I would have loved to be that exposure for them to see me and say, oh, that's a Muslim teacher that we know. 
you know, and she's regular, just a regular human being, um, because that would really help dismantle hate, you know, because you're getting exposed to it in some way, um, which is what we need more of. And I think a lot of times, like when, when you mentioned the teachers um, in Idaho, like if they had a diverse colleagues and employees in their district, that I don't think that would have ever been acceptable because yeah. it wouldn't have made sense. Like diversification within your own district and within your own building is key to help dismantle all that kind of craziness because then you'll just start to say, okay, these are just other people who just happen to be Muslim or happen to be black and there's nothing to be worried about or afraid of or or anything like that. So that would have helped immensely with that situation. Um, and I think it helps with, within our building because they, they know that they can come to us for anything. Or if they have like, um, for, an ex for example, like discipline in our, in our district, within certain cultures, some people will discipline just like the old way with like the belt, you know? But then you have people who take it to the extreme they're like oh my god they're like hurting these kids and I'm like whoa slow down you have to have a conversation with these children you have to have a conversation and figure out like what's going on like what do they mean by oh you know I got spanked like last night or whatever it is you know you have to sit down and understand their background and their culture and where they're coming from before you make these outrageous assumptions that God knows what's happening in in their homes or um you know, with their families. And I feel like we still have a lot to work on as a whole in education about really understanding or taking the time to understand um, students of different backgrounds and their cultures and their families and their, and it starts with conversation and dialogue, you know? Right, right. You know, and, and I think with those people in Idaho too, um, the chances of them actually knowing any real people from Mexico has got to be so slim because if you if you knew and you had friends with you were friends with people from that area like you wouldn't make those those same types of jokes like you and that was the thing for me right. like I, I moved to Houston and you know I'm it was the first time I was ever really exposed I mean because Houston's like the most diver, one of the most diverse cities in the country diverse. yeah so you know I have Hispanic students but I didn't like me being from Wisconsin. I didn't realize that like, like you kind of said, like don't call someone from El Salvador Mexican and don't call someone right. from Honduras, El Salvadorian and, and, and all those, and just those little nuances of that culture and, and along right. really with the, with and the African-American culture. Yeah. Right. And, um, it's funny you say that because sometimes they'll be like, Ms. Michelle, can you translate for this parent? And I'm like, uh, where is this parent from? Just because they speak Arabic doesn't mean I speak the same dialect as them. Like, we have totally different dialects. And they're like, right. oh, yeah. Like, right. so you don't, um, you don't realize how different um, those, those countries are, you know? I guess a, a question I have for you, too, on that front. So say, say, say I were to go into your school with predominantly Middle Eastern um, Muslim kids, yeah. what would be the importance of me letting them really get to know who I am? Because I feel like we can get to know our kids, but I, I've, in my experience, 
if kids don't get to know you, it's what you trying to get to know them is not going to matter much. Right. So I think as educators, regardless of what, regardless of who's in front of us, we need to be vulnerable. And I think that we're, we don't, we're not, we're innately like worried about, oh my gosh, am I getting this lesson right? Am I planning enough? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? And it has to be like Pinterest perfect all the time or Instagram worthy and blah, 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 blah. Um, and we plan to death and we forget to just be vulnerable with our kids and just have like downtime and have them ask questions that have nothing to do with the lesson and be okay and joke with them right. and let your guard down. And I think before a child will even open up themselves to you, they want to see you doing that, you know, and you letting your guard down and you saying, Oh, this is what, you know, I, or one day I did this and what did you guys do? And, well, and bridging that gap, like I'm, I'm not only your teacher, but I'm like another person that you can come and have a conversation with. And, um, I think we just, we're, we're so like rigid as educators. We're just like, we right. want everything to be done and we have all these, and it's not even our fault really, because you have all these like things on top of you that you have to do and time requirements. And, and you're always worried about not enough time, not enough time, not enough time. Right. Um, and state testing and all that stuff. So we're already stressed out as it is, but I, I take a moment like to just, I have breathing, like, I'll be like, okay, put your, put everything down, put your hands up. We're just going to take a deep breath. We're just going to calm down. Cause this is where I'm really like having trouble with. And they'll be like, it's okay. Ms. Michelle, just, this is what we need to do. Like they'll calm me down. So they know, right. I think when I let myself and let my guard down and allow them to ask questions that are personal and questions that really dig deep. And I never shame them for that. I just let them ask those questions and I let mm -hmm. those conversations happen. And then, they'll start to be like, oh, Ms. Meshach, did you know that this is what I'm doing after school today? Or, oh, Ms. Meshach, you know, I play football. Come watch me at a game. Or, right. um, you know, oh, do you guys eat this type of food? Or they'll always ask me, which is hilarious because, like, most of my students are from, um, like, Syria, Iraq, and, like, Lebanon, right? So they'll be like, what's a seed? We always hear these yummy kids saying they're having a seed for food. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's the best thing ever. And I'll like explain it to them. So right. just taking the moment to like have those conversations with them and not worry about, you know, getting your reading lesson done. It'll get done. Like just take a moment and relax and have that conversation with them. And if something genuinely comes up, whether it's like, um, race or religion or whatever, I have those conversations with my students. And I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I've gotten like, oh, don't have those conversations. Like, you're in education. It should I'm like, no, I'm having these conversations with my right. kids. Like, they're exposed to this. They watch the news. They know what's going on in the world. Like, if they come in and ask me a question, I'm going to have that conversation with them. I'm not going to shy away from it. Um, and I think we just have to, like, let down our guard and let them see us as human beings before they will allow you to make those connections with them. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I'm right. You know, it, 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 no, it totally makes sense. And I'm just thinking about too, like just in the news, the, you know, they, they were saying that, you know, voters 18 to 26 or 28 or whatever it was, never hardly vote in midterms. And now like those like numbers are like, through the roof. And I'm just, yeah. just thinking about, I, I only knew like growing up, 
I only knew what I scammed from my dad from his newspaper. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and, and very little of what I saw, like, cause I wasn't like a committed news watcher, you know, you right. just didn't, but, but like you said, these kids are, are in it. They see it. And oh yeah. They watch like our last presidential election. Like my kids came in scared. I had students who were crying, you know, right. and they were, they were terrified. Like what's going to happen, you know, cause of all the crazy rhetoric that was, that was being said. And, and I'm just like, what, you can't teach math at that point. You just can't. Right. When you're, you know, when, when they're literally um, anxious and they're like, what's going to happen to us? Are we going to lose our citizenship? Are we going to get kicked out of our home? Like, what's going to, you cannot, there's no way. I don't know what educator would be like, oh, let's get out your math books. Like, you must be delusional at that point if you're not going to sit and have that conversation with your kids and calm them down and kind of like give them a moment to, you know, feel, uh, feel validated. Like, yeah, these are real fears that are happening. And you're not the only one that's afraid. Like everyone is afraid, you know, about all these kind of things that happen, you know? Um, it's just, it's, it's really interesting to see that they're so involved. Like you said, I grew up the same way. I knew what was happening based on what my dad told me you know like about what's happening okay this is what's happening and we were lucky enough though growing up we always had um a satellite dish so we were exposed to different news channels from all over the world as well and it wasn't just cnn and fox and whatever um so we we were able to get like to flip to a saudi channel and get the saudi news or to um you know uh be uh England news or whatever it is like we were able to flip and see the different perspectives and stuff like that so we were able to grow up with that around um but again like I always said to my dad like okay so who are you voting for or why are you voting like I never really invested until a couple of years ago and I was like oh shit's gonna really hit the fan like I really should know what's going on you know yeah. um and it's fine like a lot of people are still in that, like, um, Lanisha was saying some, some guy was like, this is the first time that I've ever voted. And he was like 50 years old. Um, Lanisha Tab from, um, education with an apron or apron education on IG. And she was like, like, Oh, I, I vote all the time, you know? And he's like, Oh, I just didn't realize how important it was. Um, and we now come to see how excruciatingly important it is. Um, so, but these kids, these young kids, the, the generation we're teaching now, they're exposed to it. They'll come in and tell me what's happening every single day. Uh, just the other day, they were like, did you hear about those two people that got shot in the grocery store market because they're black? I'm like, oh, yeah. How do you feel about that? Like, what are your thoughts? And, you know, we have that discussion. Um, and I think a lot of teachers are so afraid to have those discussions because they're afraid of the, like the reprimand, like, oh, they're going to go home and tell their parents and their parents are going to come in and complain and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just over it. I have those discussions in my classroom and I'm, I'm not there to teach. I've made it a point to my like family, my, my school family, like I'm not there to teach math, reading and science and social studies. I'm there to teach the whole child and I'm there to teach real world. And when they leave this classroom, 
I know that the children that I personally have had will be able to function outside of my classroom doors. And that's all that I'm worried about, you know? Like, of course, I'm going to teach these things, but I am going to, if these things happen naturally, I am going to go ahead and have these conversations with them. Right. So and I just, and I'm trying to empathize with, you know, kids that you have or, you know, even like your own kids and me being a social studies, history, political science, that's my educational background. I understand that the president can't take away birthright citizenship. Like I understand that it would have to be a constitutional amendment and there's no way that would ever fly. There's no way that would ever go through. You know, it's, it's funny you say there's no way that would ever happen. And um, my perspective is it could. Oh man, you're right. Okay. So it could. and the way, and the reason why I'm saying this is because we sat, we all said, there's no way Trump's going to become president. Like there's no way that's going to happen. Excuse my language. Right. Right. But guess what? He's president. Okay. So that should be a lesson to us that we really need to explore, read, figure out information, and make ourselves aware so that if these things start to, like if happen. these steps start to happen, we can then just be like, okay, we're ready to go. We're ready to fight. And a lot of times um, people will be like, there's no way, like we thought there has to be, like you said, a constitutional am amendment and there has to be like all these hearings and all these things that have to happen. And nothing surprises me anymore. And that's what I am. I'm raising my children with, I'm afraid for my kids. Like I literally am afraid for them because I know they, I can't send them outside to play outside because I'm terrified of what's gonna happen if they're unsupervised. So I was raised like you go outside, you play when the lights come on you go home yeah that's just the way it was like we didn't have to worry about all these things and now it's right. like yeah this you might think it might not happen but i have a totally different perspective where it's going to happen you know like the whole ban right the whole like muslim ban oh it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen well if it happens so now what like we were a little too late on that you know what i mean right. So things like this can happen. We just need to make sure that we're educating ourselves. So if we do start to see those red flags, we don't dismiss them and say that it's not going to happen. We live in a democracy. We're, you know, the United States of America, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, we do live in a democracy. We are the U.S. of A. But granted, a lot of crazy things have happened in this nation. Um, a lot of horrible things have happened in this nation. This is a nation built on a lot of racism. So anything could happen. We need to stop thinking things can't happen and start realizing that this is our history and it's just repeating itself in a different way. Um, so you just have to just be aware of what's going on around you, I think. Yeah. And I am, like I said, I am, I'm, I'm terrified. Like I have, like if, if something happens and, you know, they say, you know, you got to go. I kind of like, I, I've had this conversation with my husband, like, okay, where would we go? What would we do? Where would we live? What will happen to our kids? Like, I've had to have those conversations, you know? And it's just because it is what it is for me and my family and many like me. Um, but that's what people need to be aware of. Just, it might not, you might not think it might happen because of your background and the right. way you were raised and 
the privilege of your skin color, but I have that fear that it, it could happen very well and easily, you know? So. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing when, when the access Hollywood tape came out, I was like, there's, there's no way the American people will stand for someone like this to be the president. And, and I was wrong because, you know, I was, I was in Houston at the time and, and a I lot had, of people underestimate how smart, like he is a bigot and he's a racist and he says some very crazy things. And it's because he knows what's driving people to the polls. And he knows that he's not an idiot. He's very, he, he, he understands the history of this nation and how it was built. So he's using that rhetoric to drive those polls and, and get the numbers that he needs, right? But when you've never been exposed to, I mean, he's just blatant about it. And I think that's what shocked yeah. everyone. Like, he's mm-hmm. just like, Explicit. it is what it is, yeah. explicitly says it. And everybody's like, oh, it's never going to happen. But you have a lot of people harboring those same thoughts um, and suppressing those same ideologies. And now you have a president who's outright saying it. So now they're like, yeah, you know, we do feel this way and we are going to do this and we're going to, you know, make America great again. Like, when was it great? Like, let's just, let's just start there. There's a lot we could go on. Right. So we just need to be aware, like anything is possible. Who would have thought a celebrity would be president, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I, I, I think back to the, I, I never really watched that. You, you remember that HBO show, the newsroom with, um, with Jeff Daniels. And there's that famous scene where he's on stage and the, and the guy asks him, you know, why is America the greatest country in the world? And he like comes right out and lists all the reasons why we're not, you Mm -hmm. know, and you're like, that's, that's TV. And then it's so right. funny that TV all of a sudden like mirrors real life, these things. And, and that's, and that's even just, you know, talking to you and talking to Liz Kleinrock who, you know, had her, her consent thing like blow up and like, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's opened my eyes at, at 34 years old to the fact that like, I, I, I sometimes like now question myself, like, am I deserving of the opportunities that I got? Like I, I, I've been dismissed from jobs, but I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you and say like, okay, we can't, we can't choose what families or what, uh, um, class we're like social class or like we're born in. Right. It just, it is what it is. But even though you do have these privileges, okay, nobody's like, okay, whenever I get feedback, like, oh, you're just mad because I'm like, I'm not mad about anything. Like, those are your privileges and whatever you have them. You're cognizant that these are the privileges I have. Um, And you shouldn't say, am I deserving? You should say, what could I do knowing that I have these privileges to help those that don't have the same privilege as me or whose voices knowing that, you know what, if me and you were standing in the same room talking to someone, I bet you they'd listen to you more because you're a white man. Right. Yeah, for sure. So what, how could I amplify those voices? How could I, um, take it like the light or the spotlight away from me and say, Hey, like this person, like I might know a little bit, but this person knows a little bit more than me and they're more valuable in this certain discussion. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, um, 
Black Lives Matter movement, right? Totally in support of it. But I'm not the person to go to for that. I'm going to show you like who you should be listening to in regards to that. You know what I mean? So even as a Arab American Muslim woman, I have privileges that my black Muslims might not have. My black Muslim sisters and brothers do not have. You get what I'm saying? So how could I use my privilege to not say I'm not, you know, do I deserve this? It is what it is. You have them. So how can we use them to shed light on those people who can't? Whether it's a Muslim, whether it's, um, you know, a person of LGBTQ background, whether it's a person of Jewish faith or whatever, whatever. That person in that per- personal, that person in their predicament, how could I shed light on their, using my voice to help guide their voice, to help have people hear them um, and not just dismiss them? So you're in a position, I think, that's very valuable because you're doing just that. Like inviting me is amplifying my voice and my experiences. Do you get what I'm saying? So. Yeah. I thank you for that because you used your privilege to be like, Hey, I want to have this person on my show and hear their story and hear what they're about and what they've experienced, which is awesome. And I wish we had more people who were like that um, in our community. And And unfortunately we don't. Yeah. And, and to your point that I've, I've really, especially in the last year that we've been having like guests on our podcast, Mm. I've learned and I asked Liz Kleinrock this question once. I was like, when am I educated enough to speak on something? Mm. And she said, there's not, she goes, there's not a right or wrong ed- answer. She said, right. basically, you should always be educating yourself on these things. But I, I'm a person right now that's, when I get asked questions, I say, I don't know a lot. And, and, and like you said, I'm trying to point people in the right direction because right. My experience is so You're not, not, but you're not the only one in that position. And I think a lot of people think like, um, like a lot of people will come ask me like, like questions about Islam and stuff like that. Well, I have a unique experience with my religion. You know, there's 6 billion Muslims out there and um, Arab Muslims are the smallest percentage. So I can't speak on my Chinese Muslim brother or sister. I have no idea how they grew up or, you know, how they were exposed to Islam or what they're, you know, how deeply they're practicing or whatever. So I can only speak on my experience um, and I can only educate you on what I know. But then I always say, well, I don't know that much. Like it's same as you like, oh, I don't know that much, but here's what I do know. And here's where you can go to find out more. And I think that's more valuable than just um, not saying anything at all. Yeah, you, you know, know? And, and that's we're all it, learning. And, and I think that's really what we've learned is kind of our space for this podcast is there's so many great teachers and there's so many diverse teachers and there's so many like incredible teachers out there that but our collective teacher voice is constantly negative. Mm. It's it's constantly and and I we're sort of coming to the understanding that it's that's not any teacher that I know's voice. I mean, there are some teachers who are very negative, but the majority of the teachers we've talked to are incredible and love the profession and are doing amazing things for kids. Mm-hmm. But, but like you said, our, our space right now is to just start to little by little t- 
tell as many teacher stories as we can so that people start to understand like this is what we're doing because you know like you said in terms of teachers like my experience from Wisconsin to Texas back to Wisconsin is way different than your experience in Michigan and is yeah and I can tell you that within like I've been uh, I've worked in three schools within our district right and each school is it they have their own like unique climate and um, culture, right? Even though we might all be like Middle Eastern or whatever, like I mentioned before, but just going from just these schools, you can just learn so much. And I, I can't imagine working in a school. So Katie works, I don't know if you know, Katie Rogers, the city Mm -hmm. teacher, she works in Detroit public schools and they have no water. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's bonkers to me. That's insane to me that, and I literally work at a school where if you cross the the major street next to us, you are in Detroit. So I can't imagine working in her school or being exposed to what she's exposed to. It's totally different um, experiences, but it still shapes you as an educator and you can bring these stories back and, and, and say, well, this is what happened with me and this is how I dealt with it. And, you know, and I think that's what you guys are doing, which is amazing. And like you said, your experiences vary just going from Houston to Wisconsin. But I bet you after leaving Houston, you had a, a very different perspective right. coming back to um, Wisconsin. Yeah, right? you know, and it's crazy. And I live, where I live is only about 45 minutes from Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very affluent, like very, very affluent. Like the town next to mine just did renovations on their high school that make it look like a five-star resort wow. and inside it is brand new top to bottom. And then you have, like you said, Katie's situation where there legitimately is no water. And yeah. you talked with Sarah Forrest, who is, you know, the designer teacher, she was teaching in schools yeah. where there was still the Soviet union listed as a country. That's how old yeah. their textbooks were. And it's just, oh, yeah. and it's, it's so crazy that it is, it is crazy. Like, I don't know. It's nuts. I mean, the the district that I'm in, like I said, we're very fortunate to have like smart boards and yeah. resources and stuff like that. And then, um, Katie was like, "I can't even make copies," and I'm like, "Oh, can you just call me and I'll make your copies?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll help you out. Like, what do you need? Like, you know. So it's it, it's just crazy to see how different. Like you said, like a resort school. Like I can't even imagine that. I mean, that's not. Yeah, it's it's bon- it, Like it's bonkers, and I just, you know, I I I went to Houston. I taught seven years, took a year off because my my partner and I, Wilkie, we have a non. We we do the podcast and all our stuff through our nonprofit. Yeah. And so I took a year to really work and build that, and then I came back and taught for a year, and then I got I, I got non renewed last year in a school district yeah. that's booming. So, you uh-huh. know, now I'm, I'm doing just a, a landscaping job to make, you know, pay my bills and keep doing this. And my girlfriend yeah. asked me, you know, just the other night, she's like, do you have a plan? You know, it, would you go back to teaching? And I was like, if I'm going back to teaching, I'm going to go into Minneapolis. Like I would rather go back into Minneapolis or go into St. Paul and teach there where, I would, I would feel more comfortable than I did at a predominantly white school where mm. 
I mesh with the kids. I don't know. Like sometimes I feel like those kids are the kids that need you most. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and that's the thing too. I, I, the majority of the kids that I taught when I was at this other school, you know, come from good families and yeah, there's, there's kids everywhere that are going through rough times, but Mm -hmm. I just feel like where I'm at, like I'm with you, like teaching content is so secondary mm-hmm. that I mean I get in trouble for it like no oh, so did I all the time <laughs> you want this lesson I'm like yes I am but I'm also doing this in my classroom <laughs> right right you know um, and, it is what it is, whatever yeah and my my guy will for the first time you know he's been teaching in Houston 13 years and this is the first time he's ever worked in a predominantly African-American student and he's African and an African-American man and the kids mm-hmm. are still like super skeptical of him, you know? And, yeah, and because he, even though, like, like I said, even though he's, uh, even with me, like, even though I'm Middle Eastern, doesn't mean that I'm, I have the same experience as them or understand what their struggle was, you know? Right. Um, and so he's, they're probably skeptical of him in that sense, like, okay, so who is this guy? Like, what did he really yeah. go through? Is he really going to understand? Yeah. Um, what we went through because not everybody is the same and I feel like um, as an educator especially because I I really do try to be culturally responsive in my classroom but that doesn't just mean like I'm exposing my students to um, so like I don't just expose my kids to like Middle Eastern things right so I just I make sure that the, the books especially in my classroom are there from all different kinds of backgrounds right and it doesn't matter whether you're the same color, a different color, the same religion, a different religion, poor, um, or anything. Like we had a discussion the other day when we were talking about like what, you know, I was reading a book and then, you know, there was a homeless man in this book and they're like, I was like, well, why do you know, why do you think, you know, they're treating him this way? And they're like, oh, it's because he's homeless. And if you're homeless, that means you're bad. And I'm like, whoa. Like, let's rewind. Like, how did you get that impression? And we had to sit down and talk about, like, what does it mean to be homeless? And how do you think they got to that position? And why does it make them seem good or bad? Like, how did you get that relation, you know, perspective? And so you're just, you're teaching the whole child. And it doesn't even matter. Like, I hear, like, some of my um, white colleagues will be like, well, you know, that lived somewhere else, predominantly white, and they teach white kids. They're like, well, how can we be culturally responsive? We have all white kids in our classroom. I'm like, so what? (laughs) Not every, you know, white kid has the same background as the other person. Maybe this person is going home who has nothing to eat. Maybe this person is going home who's never been exposed to this. I mean, within that, within their own uh, classroom, you need to be culturally responsive to their culture and experiences and how you know their experience is shaping them so it doesn't mean when you're culturally responsive you're only doing this with um kids who are like different mm-hmm. religion or colors you're doing this in every classroom based on the culture of that classroom does that make sense yeah mm-hmm. so you're, you're taking the needs of the whole child right. and not just oh well i don't have any black kids in this class so i'm not going to teach them about you know, all the great African-American uh, people who d- devoted their lives to certain things and built this country, you know? Right. That doesn't work. Like, you have to really 
break apart your classroom dynamic and then build on that. Perfect. Oh, I could spend the rest of my Sunday talking to you, but we've been going almost an hour now. So I want to make sure yeah. that you're ready because your kids got to be getting home sometime. Yeah, they are actually. Awesome. Well, um, for, for the people that want to follow you, want to connect with you, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, I'm most active. I mean, I do have a Facebook, but I, I just link everything on Instagram to my Facebook. <laughs> so, totally. <laughs> so whatever they're seeing is really on my Instagram. So I'm most active on, on my Instagram uh, social media. So they can follow me at teaching with sugar and spice. Um, or if they just type in Esmahan Mashar, it'll, it'll pop up. Um, they can also email me at teaching with sugar and spice at Gmail if they have any questions or if they, you know, just want to have a genuine conversation. I'm always um, willing to do that. Awesome. And it could be about anything. So I'm very, I'm, I tend to be very open. So if I don't know something and tell you, oh, I don't know, I'll let you know, I'll get back to you. But right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And gosh, I'm, I'm going to have to have you back on again sometime so I can keep learning. But thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you and just learning about your experience and, you know, how your experience also shaped who you are now. And you're doing such a phenomenal job with allowing teacher voices to be heard on this um, podcast. So we really appreciate that.